0: Welcome to the Circularity Edge podcast, where we discuss the latest news and perspectives on the circular economy and issues relating to social, environmental, and economic sustainability. Join us every week when we discuss what's needed to
1: create a sustainable circular economy worldwide. Now, here is your host, Ken Alston. Hello again. This is Ken Alston with the Circularity Edge podcast where well, we talk with people all over the world who are working in their local communities to create positive, beneficial outcomes in more sustainably circular ways. Today, I'm especially excited to talk with a new friend from Brazil. We were both speakers on a recent virtual event in the UK, organized by Adam and Alice Studios. I knew as soon as I heard my next guest speak that I just had to invite her here to talk to us on the Circularity Edge podcast. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Maria costa She's co-founder of From Bello. She started her career in the financial market, but decided to pursue her dream of using her creativity to make a positive impact on the planet. Together with her best friend, Char, they created From Bello. For those of you who don't know From Bello, they create long lasting, beautiful fashion accessories that carry kindness in every scene. As you'll hear in our conversation, they address the biggest issues in their community in Bello Horizonte, Brazil, namely waste and poverty. They turn trash into on-trend yet timeless items that celebrate ethical craftsmanship. A percentage of their revenue goes towards investing in key local charities that solve issues for the community to thrive. At the end, every From Bello customer can feel good on the inside and out, knowing that their beautiful accessory is a catalyst for a better world. And in the notes with this podcast, we will include information on their website and social media. So with that, welcome to Maria Costa. So I'm here today with Maria Costa from Belo, in, I think you're in Belo Horizonte, is that right, in Brazil?
0: Yes. Yes, that's right.
1: How are things there right now?
0: It's good. It's getting better. It's getting better. I'm... I'm happy, you know, the COVID situation is getting better in Brazil. People are getting vaccinated, so it's all onwards and upwards from here, I think.
1: Yeah, it's been a tough year, isn't it, for everybody? It's um, unbelievable what how disrupted the whole world has been.
0: Yes, definitely. But anyway, as,
1: as you say, we're moving forward from uh, hopefully coming out of COVID and into into you know new. New dimensions again. I'm not sure things will be the same, but maybe they will be better. Let's hope so. So I've got to I, I've got to really just start at the beginning and say you know I, I'm I'm so I'm so excited about talking with you today, Maria. I think you have a really uh, important story that needs to be more widely heard, and um, <clears throat> you know as you you know I've been involved in sustainability from very early days. And um, I was in Brazil and all across South America before we even had the term circular economy, uh, talking about what is now the circular economy. And um, it's surprising to me sometimes how long it takes for ideas to to germinate and begin to come alive. But I'm I'm so happy to see so many examples like the one we're going to talk about today where you can see um, the real progress on the ground. And you know, for me, the, the importance of this story that we're gonna hear from you about in a minute is it, to me, it's more like what I call true sustainability. You know, there's, a, there's the concept, the idea of something that's sustainable and anybody can in two minutes, you know, understand the, the premise, the idea, the concept of sustainability. But actually, doing it in the real world is is complex and it's very different. And um, you know, one of the things I particularly like that I want to talk about is is the equity part of what you're doing, because in in sustainability, it's more often the environmental piece that gets talked about. And so, why don't we just jump in and um, start at the beginning and, and tell us about what Bello is doing and, and just right from the very you know, germ of an idea, how did it get started?
0: Yeah, so if we're really going like from where it actually got started, I could say that it got started when I was six years old oh. because I used to live in the Amazon. So I used to live in the middle of the Amazon uh, rainforest. And- Manaus? No? no, I used to live in a, in a village called Bacarena. So it's in Pará, it's in the, it's the, in the other state. Because my dad is an engineer, and we used to uh, work—he used to uh, to work there—and we used to live in a village, that just for the people that uh, worked in the area. And um, for me, like I, I lived in the middle of the jungle, literally, and I've seen firsthand what humans could do to the environment. And it was something that I was always very protective of, but I always felt really helpless as well, because I didn't know what I could do. You know, and I've been I've been very conscious about everything for since I can remember. And um, when I fast forward um, 10 years later, I went to the UK and I met my business partner, Charlotte. We were um, we went to school together. We were best friends. And then when another I don't know, I think eight years later, we we met again when she came to, to South America, because she went to um, to volunteer in, in Bolivia. She's a physiotherapist. And we were talking over like some cocktails and she was saying that she never realized what poverty really was. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you are in a world country, of course there is poverty, but it's a different type of poverty. And she never realized like how the opportunities and where, where you come can determine the opportunities you have in life. And we were talking it over and uh, we realized that we really wanted to do something to change um, the status quo of my community because she came to visit me in Brazil and, um, you know, she saw what the poverty really was and we were like, okay, let's, let's do something that we love, which is fashion. And it really elevate the craftsmanship of people here, cause everyone's so talented. Um, and yeah, let's make some bags, cause we, we love handbags. Um, and but then as we started to, I I had no idea about the manufacturing process, so I didn't know about the materials. Uh, all I all we knew is that we wanted to um, to create a cooperative of the artisans that lost their jobs and. They were so talented. But then when we started researching the materials, we realized, wow, they are so harmful for the environment. Um, We can't do that because I think one of the, the concepts that we truly believe in is that the most sustainable way to change the world is for you to elevate impoverished communities and give them opportunities. But that comes with the balance between the environment and the people because when you uh, when you see the the people that are most uh, affected by climate change and all this this uh, all this horrible you know uh, stuff that happened, uh, are the the most um, vulnerable people. You know the poorest people. So for us, we realize what are the the most um, important issues in brazil in in my town in Belo, that we have to tackle and it was waste and poverty because the waste here um it's not like we don't have a really good um system and it often close causes a lot of flooding and people lose their houses you know it's um it's a really tough situation like every january everyone prays um and in 2020 was our worst year ever um, with flooding, so we thought, let's. Yeah, so why, it, it piles problem
1: on top of problem on top yes. of problem. Yeah.
0: So we thought, what can we do with that way? So we started to research, and we're like, okay, um, there is a lot of ways that actually can be turned into handbags because they're so durable. Seat belts are so durable, and uh, we were talking. We were talking with one of our artisans that um, her husband has a, a mechanic shop, and he was like, yeah, we just burn them. And all throw them in the gutter somewhere. And we're like, no, like this material is amazing. So we, we created. This is, a... this is
1: such an important concept that the idea, you know, the word waste yeah. has to be eliminated from our vocabulary. The, the concept of waste needs to be, it's not zero waste, it's eliminate the whole concept, right? Because yes. as you said, in, in the minds of the, the, the mechanic there, it was something he didn't know what to do with, so he didn't mm-hmm. value it. And he didn't realize it had some, still had some intrinsic value to yeah. somebody else. But he didn't know who that could be, so he couldn't create that value by making the connection. And yeah. so I think this is such an important idea that there isn't really waste. There's just a, an un, unvalued material that's waiting for the right opportunity to be revalued again
0: definitely that is such an interesting thing that you just said because it's true like we need to change that word you know because it's like in nature nothing is lost everything is it's reused repurposed you know for for a right. new life and yeah. um in the beginning it was really hard for us because people don't understand the concept and they see it as something dirty something that you know why why do you want to use this material So we created some strategies to break down the barriers in the community. One of them, um, I was like, okay, so uh, we can trade if you don't want to sell, if you don't know, you know, they they were always um, a little bit, um, they didn't understand why we wanted it. So I started to trade.
1: You were bartering the materials? Yes. Or the bags, or both?
0: No, the materials.
1: Just the materials, okay?
0: Yeah, just the materials because uh, they didn't even want to sell it to us. They're like, "You're mm. crazy. Why do you want that?" And it's silly, isn't it? Like, I'm offering you money. Why don't you want me to? But hey, exactly,
1: it seems so so. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> wrong somehow. Yeah. Uh,
0: but then I traded. So in the beginning, um, I still do it to this day. But now we have a, a different type of arrangement.
1: But, but give me amazing. an idea. What what did you train, trade right in the beginning?
0: In the beginning, what did they, th-
1: yeah, they didn't like the idea of money, but what would they take instead?
0: Uh, English lessons for their kids.
1: Oh, because, my goodness, wow.
0: Yeah, in Brazil, you know, like e- opportunities, you know, you have uh, a lot of doors open when you speak English. So yes, uh, yeah. every week I, I give, I still give uh, English lessons to their kids.
1: Fantastic. It's like
0: trading for <laughs>
1: You know, this, this strikes a real chord with me because. I, I think communication is a really uh, undervalued part of this whole thing we're talking about here. And it's, it's communicating not only what you're doing, which is what we're doing on the podcast today, but it's also choosing the words that we use, like we said, with waste. Just take that word out of the English language and every other language, you know, think basuero. Take, take the word out, you know, let's lose it. Um, but the idea to me that is fascinating that you use communication as a way to barter for something immaterial. I, I think that's I don't know, something beautiful about that.
0: And also it taught us um, that every community has different needs. And sometimes it's not monetary needs. They need something else. And the communication as well is what made us break down the barriers and make them trust us. Yeah. because they always have a step you know they always take a step back and they never understand why people you know are paying attention to them or want to help them they don't want that and um, for us it was a true like uh, learning curve that we need to understand what the community what the community's needs are and from that we realized okay so what else can we do to help them because so was, was the seed
1: belt the first material that you started with
0: We started in, our first one was dead stock leather, but then we wanted to take a a step further because we realized that for us to make a true impact, we should go for materials that are extremely unusual, you know, that people Mm. wouldn't think, and they would be, even though it's harder, but we believe that we make more impact using um, inner tubes, um, seat belts, plastic bottles, and uh, fabric offcuts that way um, and they're beautiful and they're so resistant it's crazy like as soon as you wash them they they are clean and they are sparkling you know it's such a good material to work with
1: and I, I love the look of one of the seatbelt bags that I saw on your website I mean they are stunning oh, thank you. They're, they're beautiful truly beautiful they are and like you say you know the idea of something so plain and simple as a seatbelt, you would think there could be nothing fashionable about that. And yet, yeah. you know, with uh, with the the mind of a designer, it's transformed.
0: Yes, and the 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 beautiful work of our artisans as well, because they're really they have materials to work with. And in the beginning they didn't want to work with that either because they thought it was mm. dirty. Yes, <laughs> so well, and actually, stitching
1: stitching the stitching yeah. the seat belts must be pretty tough.
0: It is, it is. But they, they do a really good job and they learn really fast. So I'm really proud of what we could come up together. You know, well, you know, one I, of
1: my one of my mentors, I worked with Bill McDonough and Michael Bromgart, who are the authors of the book Cradle to Cradle. Oh wow. And um, I worked with them for 17 years, and I you know Bill always says design is the first signal of human intention, and so it's you know your intentions. Are coming through your designs. This is this is the idea behind it. And so, what is our attention? What is our intention? What's the outcome you want? If you don't want global warming, if you don't want all these bad things, if you don't want poverty. What's your intention to change the situation? And for me, that's exactly what you're doing. So, how, how many how many artisans did you start with, and how did you how did you how did you find them?
0: So we started with three. And now we have thirty in our in wow. our cooperative. Um, they're incredible. So we started because um, since I am uh, since I'm young, like since I started living in Belo, um, my school and my family we oh, we always volunteered a lot, and I always go I always went to this um, community um, here in Belo Horizonte and worked in an NGO that now we are partnered with called Casa de Maria. And with the conversations I was going there, um, we started when Brazil was going through a really bad economic crisis, as we are now as well, but in the beginning of everything. And the artisans, they couldn't compete with the prices in other parts of the world, like China and India. And in Brazil, we do have like a more strict workers' law (laughs) that prevents Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, um, modern slavery. And so they all uh, closed their factories. You know, a lot of people was made redundant. And it was really fun. You know, things work in a weird way because it seems like everything connected at the right time. So we, I found that out and Charlotte came and, you know, like things things work together in a magical way. I don't know if the universe helped. Well, so, I, hope, I
1: hope that's the case because I believe in that.
0: Yes, yes, I think so, too. And um, so when I, I spoke to Dona Nisa, which is the, the, the heart and soul of the NGO, she was like, oh, we have a lot of people coming in. Um, getting food because uh, they lost their jobs and they're incredible artisans and when I spoke to them I was like okay like they they can they can make it work and now we have 30 people with us and they're incredible they are absolutely incredible uh, we know their families we know we, we know everyone uh, everyone's names and, um, and it's funny because I'm so in the conscious side and in Brazil it's not such a thing you know as you I don't know if you if you notice that when you come here it's not something Mm -hmm. that it's so um you know like in Europe people talk about it more I don't know if in the US is the same Uh, but now they get really excited and they go like one of the girls came to me the other day oh I just taught my child like how to recycle they so they showed (laughs) me a photo of like the recycling bins and I was like oh well done
1: yeah, so it, it gets passed on to the next generation with a different level of consciousness. You mentioned at the beginning that you had a, a consciousness from an early age. Where do, where do you think that consciousness came from? I had a similar experience which I can tell you about, which I, I talk about sometimes in some of my talks.
0: Yeah, but I it, think to me I it's an
1: important revelation. Where where does this yeah. idea come from?
0: I think it's just like a lot of empathy that I always had and um when I was when I was in the Amazon so it was the time that I lived there it was a land with no law so mm. you would see a lot of pain you would see a lot of um devastation you would see From like logging, people, yeah. yeah like you would see people like um selling tocanos, I don't know the name in English um or you know little monkeys in the streets mm-hmm. and you know they would be chained and uh, or mm-hmm. in like plastic bags and seeing that all the time, it just took a toll on me and yeah. Yeah, I, d- I didn't, I always- So it was a physical,
1: to, for you, it was a physical thing in your yeah, environment. Yeah, it was,
0: it was. Yeah. And I always wanted to, um, <laughs> before Bello, I was uh, working an investment fund, mm-hmm. and, um, but I, I, it wasn't my purpose, you know, I, I was never happy. And because I always knew I wanted to do something that I could say, okay, I'm making a difference, even though it's not a huge difference. But I think it is a a huge
1: difference to those thirty artisans. Believe me.
0: Yes, definitely. You
1: you know that in your heart that it's a huge difference. And thirty makes sixty, makes six hundred, makes six million. You know, so amen. Don't don't lose don't lose that (laughs) that heart ever. For me, I, I, I didn't realize until I moved to the U.S. where I think my consciousness came from. I When I was at university in my first year, I, I bought a book in the student bookstore, which was arguably one of the first books to change environmental consciousness in the world. It was um, Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. And it was a book that told the story of how the, the bird eggs were not being formed correctly because of pesticides. And uh, the spring was going to be silent with no song because the eggs weren't forming. So this was one of the first revelations that our human activity can have a, a negative impact on the environment. And I, I bought this book. It had nothing to do with my course because in those days there were no courses on environment or sustainability or anything. Um, but it obviously planted a seed in my brain and, and I always did environmentally positive things, no matter what job I had in all my career. Um, and I trace it back. And I, and I only made that connection when I came to the US because, of course, I packed up all my belongings and moved them here from, from England. And when I unpacked them again, I rediscovered that book that I'd forgotten I bought. And uh, But I think that's the seed for me that started it. So I, I, think, I think it's important for people to realize that you know, one little thing, one little trigger, can be the start of a whole complete adventure that's positive for, for not only for you as an individual, but for the whole world. Yes, and, and if, if, even even your artisan who now is teaching her her child, you know that that's the beginning of consciousness for that child. So these these things spread. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's lack of knowledge. You know, like. Um, when you start to, I remember when I started to, because in the beginning they used to make fun of me, you know. She's like, "Oh, here comes Greenpeace," you know, like they used. Yeah, to make you're the tree hugger.
1: Of- you hug trees at yeah. night. I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and now they they really, like they really care. You know, they really um when we when we're designing like some of the concepts like um yesterday my prototyper called me and he was like maria so we're going to we're making this bag and i realized that we have some waste with the seat belt. shall we do a uh, little wallets with it and i was like yes mm. that's the spirit you know yeah Let's, why not you yeah. know yeah. That's the spirit, so I was happy.
1: You know, you, you, you said something there that again struck another chord with me. And I knew this was going to happen in our conversation. I just knew it from the very minute we met on that um, event we were at a few weeks ago. And um, it's it strikes me that not enough people understand the process of designing and making things. You know, you just go to the store, you buy on the internet or whatever, wherever you get something. It's just a thing, and you're trading your money, and it arrives. and um, there's, there's it's a bit like the same with our food, right? Most people don't yeah. understand where food comes from. we' we've, we've lost this connectivity to to everything, to the earth and where things come from. And uh, one of the things i'm I'm in the middle of creating some new new training materials which i I hope to unleash on a an unwary public in the not too distant future. But one of the areas I'm talking about is we'll we'll deal with concepts because I don't think enough people understand that that's where you begin to lock in all of the parameters that end up in your finished product and whatever positive or negative attributes you bring through your production and into the the materials and and the product ultimately, that gets set in the concept stage. You know, and every yeah. step you make from this the very first idea, every step you take towards making the actual thing, more and more parameters get locked in and, and are unchanged. If you don't have your concept right at the beginning, you know you've already pre predetermined and pre-locked in all of the bad things. Yeah. So the fact that you started talking there about you know, having a, a prototype and a concept meeting is so important. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, if you don't have this environmental and and social sensibility being put into the concept, it won't come out at the other end.
0: Yeah, and and the thing is, if you have to be, because it's not easy. Can you you know that? Yeah. But uh, for. Everyone listening, it's not easy to take that road. It's not. It would be easier for us to get a leather and make a bag, you know, in a in a place where it's, it would be cheaper so we can have a higher margin. It's not easy. We have a lot of um, obstacles with materials, with pricing, you know, with how, what we can do with these materials because they are not flexible enough, you know, you can't do in every single shape like you would do but you need to, be, to stay strong with your values. And I think like the concept is so, so important and you always have to have in, your, in the back of your head, we're not going to um, change anything just to make money or just to please someone. Because from the beginning, when we started the brand uh, three years ago, everyone said that we were not going to succeed everyone not one person was like I believe in you like everyone and from the beginning you have we one said, here
1: you have one who believes here
0: Yay. <laughs> but from the beginning we had mentors and the mentors would be like you you can't produce in Brazil it's too expensive you should go to another country that was nice idea
1: nice idea but nice idea yeah,
0: but. <laughs> but yeah you should use. Organic materials, why are you using waste? You can't scale that, it's not gonna work like that. You're not gonna be attractive because, you know, um, trash is horrible, you know, like, and uh, we we stay firm in our belief that we want to change and we want to reframe the concept that people have of luxury, you know, luxury, luxury is craftsmanship, it's thoughtfulness, it's helping the environment is knowing that your product is made by a real person that has a family and is earning a living wage. And you're helping others, you know, you're donating food, you're helping, uh, in our case, we train psychologists to help people in the community. So uh, for us, this is the concept that should be of luxury in fashion.
1: And I I love the way that on your website, you, you, you also bring your artisans in. You know, and it it says, you know, I'm the I'm on hello, I'm the one who made your bag, right? And this is this connectivity to real people, I think, is is tremendous, and it brings yeah. it brings your concept to life.
0: And and like you were saying about the concept and about like people not knowing the the production process, I think that's where we did wrong in the early like early 90s for example when at least because i'm 30 years old that's what i can remember but like when fast fashion came and people like department stores you never think there is a person behind that um t-shirt that you bought for six pounds or five pounds you know (laughs) so we need to really be more human when it comes to the production process because people need to realize that you know like um this is a person that made your bag, her name is, is you know Maria and mm-hmm, she has mm-hmm. three kids, you know? So you really see the value that we never did because we didn't know any better.
1: Yeah, well, and, and it, it, it personalized it just to show the, the real life that you're impacting for the better. And, um, and I think it helps the purchaser feel good, right? You want to feel good. And not just hey, I bought a T-shirt, right? Just because, or, or a bag, or whatever it is. And I think I think inside of us there is this latent need to to make human connection.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, I I think the more you can do that with your brand, the, yeah, the stronger it will be. So what what growth pains did do you have in going from three to thirty?
0: Oh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, um, managing. Um, people and leadership. It's, uh, it's something that we had to learn along the way. Um, and the biggest one is, is the language barrier because Charlotte doesn't speak mm. Portuguese. So um, making sure that um, we can still communicate and she can still communicate with the artisans with the time difference and in another yes. country, it's, it's a big pain. But changing the culture was the biggest, I think. Uh, changing the culture that it's, um, that we are dealing with waste, like it's a, you know, like we are going to, we need to be creative, we need to think outside the box, because when you deal with materials like we do, the first, the first reaction everyone does is, we can't do that. Don't, that can be done. No, no, this is not going to work. So we need to push harder, you know, because they're always the first answer for my answer. It was like, no, we can't do that. No. It's like, are you sure? Come on, let's, you know, let's think outside the box and let's see if we can find other other uh, solutions, you know. So um, um, that uh, cultivating that mentality of problem solving, it was our biggest our biggest growing pain.
1: It, rem- it reminds me of... Um... A time in my past when I worked in the large multinational com- company and I was <coughs> marketing manager for a new, new product and it had a, an unusual, it actually it was called the toilet duck, the toilet cleaner with a, a duck-shaped neck to get the product under the rim of the toilet.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, <coughs> I was told that you can't make this bottle. <coughs> and uh, I knew we could because somebody else had already done it. And I had a video of the production equipment making it but everybody I went to see <clears throat> in the normal manufacturing arena said, no, you can't do that and be competitive. And so, you know, you, you just have to, like you say, you just have to push against these forces that, that seem yeah. impossible, but they're not. They're just people who haven't, you know, had that little enough pressure put on them yet to yeah. to say, oh, when I, when I showed the video and said, okay, if I can show you that it can be done, will you believe that it can be done? And the go, huh? <laughs> you know, you, you you have to have that strength of belief, which you clearly do, you know. And,
0: yes, and um and a I convincing what... power,
1: right? To say, come on, you yeah. know, there's there's got to be some way. I don't know what it is, you don't know what it is, but guess what? That's where innovation comes from, right? It comes from the clash of ideas and putting two things together that have never been put together before.
0: Yes, um, I'm a big fan of Formula One. I'm uh, addicted. Me too. I love it. <laughs> yes, I want to go to Superstar next year. I'm so excited. But one of the things I'm, I want. I'm, so, I'm
1: so mad that Hamilton's not winning. I winning, you know. I know. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I mean, it's good for yeah. Verstappen, but not so good for, for Mercedes. It, it's for the,
0: the, com- uh, the competition as it, well, right? Yes, it so is. For us, yes, it is. But yes. I am a big fan. Of Lewis Hamilton and he said something uh-huh. as, listening to one of his interviews and he said something that um, I was talking to Charlotte that is so important and I think that it's our case is it's easier to, uh, to follow than it is to lead and for us to, that leadership of we're doing something completely unusual it's hard you know because we're yeah. a small company and we need to convince our customers, we need to convince the market, but most importantly, we need to convince our artisans that yeah. we should do this and it's worth it and it's beautiful and you know it's commercial.
1: Well, I think you know, it's um this is going back to communications again, but it's you're creating value from your values. Mm-hmm. And, and this is such a, an important. I think it's an important part of your story. Um, you know, what's striking me as we're, <clears throat> we're talking is um, I'm, this new course that I'm writing is, um, I'm thinking of calling it the ultimate cycle. <clears throat> and um, because there's a lot of talk of circular economy these days as if it's the magical answer to everything. And in a way it sort of is, uh, but it, to me it's another thing like sustainability the concept you know i can explain circular economy in two minutes i can explain sustainability in two minutes but it doesn't change anything in the world until the world changes right and you're you're actualizing the change in the world that we want to see but the concept is not enough and the, the concept is simple because that's what concepts are for concepts are simple to get you to change your thinking but then it's what you do afterwards that really counts. And as you've you've you know you've encountered in your startup and growth of your company, the real world is way more complex than a concept. Yeah. And this is why, for me, this is why for thirty four years we've been pushing and pushing on sustainability, and we're still less sustainable today than we were thirty four years ago. And it's what drives me to to do what I do, which is to you know, try and get the change to happen in the world and not just talk about it. We have to do both. We have to change attitudes by talking about it and getting more believers. But we've also to change behavior. And you're doing it, you know, on the ground through your company. But this ultimate cycle, I'm, I'm going to be using the initials CGD, C for creation. Well, we've talked about creation. We've talked about ideation. We've talked about the fact that you have to have these creative meetings, right? To even get that idea sparked. If you don't have that, you'd have nothing. And then you have to go in to making it and grow and selling it and growing your business. So that's the G, that's growth. And then, you know, the, the part that every business is trying to avoid is the D, which is death. Because this is nature's cycle, it's creation, growth, and death. This is this is the ultimate cycle. You see it all around you in nature. You saw it in the in the in the rainforest. <clears throat> and um, you know what we're trying to do is to have our businesses grow and thrive and be sustaining <coughs> without, me, without dying. Um, and, and I'm trying to explore this this triad of creation, growth, and death, but then bringing in rebirth because that's where the cycle comes back again. And um, It's just been interesting to me as i'm thinking in my head about this triad of the the, um what i'm calling the ultimate cycle that i'm I'm hearing it as you tell your story there was a creation story there's a creation story continuing as each new design is 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 made um and then you're growing your business you've gone from three to 30 and you know your plans hopefully are to you know continue that growth and sustain, sustain more lives, right, for the artisans. And um, the interesting thing is, is you know, and, and maybe this is another conversation we can have another time is, the D of death is, is unavoidable, right? So how do, you, how do you manage the D part of the cycle so that it becomes part of the rebirth? And I think there's a whole, there's a whole other conversation that we can have there. Because you know, when I think about your bags, the bag isn't going to last forever. You know, you're making very durable bags out of very durable materials. If you're making it from a seat belt, it's going to last a long time. But somebody will have an accident, and there will be a tear. What happens then? Right? How, do we, how do we create? That bag just died, in quotes, right? It, it was never alive, really, but that's a whole nother conversation about communications. Um, you know, how do we, how do we continue your story through the next generation of use of that material? Or is it destined to only be burnt like the guy was originally going to burn it in the mechanic shop? You no, know, I think I think there's an interesting story of how do you push into that next use, which is an even bigger challenge, I think.
0: It is. It is our biggest challenge and something that Charlotte and I talk often. And um, for us, that's the next step of our company is understanding how we can close the cycle of yeah. our products. So right now what we do is we offer repairs, which is Excellent. something we want to, you know, like if something goes wrong with your bag, like people can send it back and we will repair it. But that's not enough. Like we've been looking at what people can do with, you um, If they send us part exchange the bag, for example, is something that we are looking into. So you send the bag that you don't want anymore. We give you credit for a next purchase. And with that, we can do something else like we've been looking at for the inner tubes, for example, you can use as isolation for, Like acoustic, like acoustic, I don't know how to say that in English. You know, like you see music studios that you see. Right, yeah,
1: acoustic insulation, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: so you can use for that. We've been looking at like what we can do with seatbelts, like turning to fibers. In Brazil, people turning to duvets.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So it's something else that we can do. But that's the next stage of our company is understanding how to close the cycle because for us, sustainability I don't know you know we don't study like we act on what we we believe but for us you can't you can't have sustainability if you don't have uh, circularity of every product that you create because you are responsible um, for that product so like you said life because for us it is it is a living thing you know it's existing mm-hmm. so we need to find out how we can make sure that this will have a, a new life as something else.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, this is why I'm, it just struck me that your whole story fits perfectly the mental model I have that I want to talk about in this training <clears throat> because you're hitting on all the right pieces. And um, I, think, I think it's another opportunity to reconnect with your customers. <clears throat> you know, in business, people always tell you that it's easier to sell to an existing customer than it is to go and find a new one. And So why can't we use this end-of-use or end-of-life moment to reconnect with the customer? And like you're saying, you can have them part-exchange it or have some, some mechanism by which they come back to you. And that whether it's a repair or whether it's returning the materials in some way, um, they're more likely to buy the next bag from you than to go mm-hmm. to somebody else. So it's, it's, there's an important underlying business reason for why you should want to keep in touch with your customer. And I think there's a a value equation there that a lot of people don't see. It's not only about getting the material back. It was only about the material. The material cost is small. The material value is small. It's, It's not worth it just for the material itself, but it's worth it for the customer to come back and be part of a customer for life for you. Yes, I agree. What else would you like people to know about what you're doing and uh, where the company is and you know where you want to take it?
0: Oh, well, I think we're doing um, a brand relaunch soon. So that's exciting. And we have, let me see if I have it here. We have some new materials that we're working with as well. So mm-hmm. we are now working with, um, that's another thing. So, you see a lot of talent because people are not formally educated in Brazil, but they are very creative. So, we found out this person that collects old sequins and plastic, everything, and transforms into a new material. Mm-hmm. And a material that we can use, it's hard, it looks like um, um, marble. It's oh, beautiful. Okay. And you can create bags with it. So we're very excited. This is a, uh, we've been supporting uh, this artisan, this person, and doing all the, um, the experiments. So hopefully we're going to have a, a new material under our, our brand that will be upcycling and recycling soon.
1: Excellent. Excellent. I think your story is important in and of itself because, you know, you're having a real impact in the, in the world right, right there, in, in your community. But it's also, you know, and, and sometimes I, and I find this a lot when I talk to people like yourself who are doing this work, what seems like on a small scale in, in, in your own locality. For me, it's, it's actually a big scale because all I need to do is to say, well, why can't we have another, another Maria you know, in another country or another city and multiply up what seem like small interventions into the into the waste stream, mm-hmm. and suddenly you've got scale. It's scaled by the fact that there are 2,000 companies doing it, not just two. <clears throat> but I think we, we often underestimate the ability of uh, small things to have a big impact because all we have to do is to multiply them and you're, you're living proof that you can, you can make a viable living for yourself and for the artisans and now even for a material supplier. Yes. And uh, so the, you know, the success spreads, it spreads throughout the whole supply chain. And um, I'm just, I'm just so excited for the work you're doing. And um, thank
0: you.
1: I, 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 I love the, you know, your, your attitude from start to finish. It's, it's clearly from the heart, and um, thank you. I just just want to wish you all continued success.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. And one thing that people don't realize, because a lot of people ask me, it's not scalable. Like your business is not scale. It is like have you seen the amount of waste out there? Like I yes. have a whole room full of seatbelts, and even though we produce all the time, they don't stop coming. Like it is like trash is scalable.
1: You know, if you. Yeah, well, one of the um, one of the companies I worked with in um, in Colombia is um, in Colombia. They have a national uh, center for for the collection of crashed vehicles, cars and bikes Mm -hmm. when they when they crash. And it's formed through the insurance uh, companies. But all of the vehicles that are scrapped have to go to this place. Mm-hmm. And they are very carefully taken apart, and as many things as possible reused. And it's it's a very uh, well organized um, setup they have. And um, they you when know, when I visited, they showed me the warehouse where they have various sections of the materials that they just it just keeps coming in. Right, every vehicle has a seatbelt, but they don't know what to do with it. Every vehicle has something else that they don't know what to do with it because there was never any design intention in making the car to be able to reutilize the materials. It was just a car for being a car and to move people around from A to B. And um, one of the things that struck me is that we, we have a need for a mechanism to connect these different parts of the system so that just like your your mechanic who didn't know that somebody somewhere might be interested in the seed belts that were piling up in the corner of his, his facility. And um, this is happening everywhere with every material. And so this is another of the things that I'm working on is, is creating a, a mechanism where people can connect the dots and, you know, you could go look and say, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in whatever the material is. And, um, and I, actually, I took, I took to heart your other comment at the beginning, which most people might have missed, but the fact that you started with bartering. In the system that I'm looking at, bartering is part of the system. Um, it's something that we don't do enough of. Which again, we've we become used to just trading for money. Yeah. And as you said right from the beginning, not everybody is ready to, to make a trade for money, uh, it's as surprising as it might seem. And so I think I think bartering is another almost lost um, <laughs> mechanism of trading that we need yeah. to, to reintroduce.
0: Because sometimes you don't even know the value of it, so it's hard, you know. Like, how can you put value on something that you find so invaluable that you don't even want to sell it because you feel like you yes. you, you know it's a, 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 you feel like a scam. So <laughs> yeah. you have to work work on that. And Ken, I'm really excited about the project. I cannot wait for this project to exist because I think this is what's missing in the world. So many people like the, this artisan that I that I talked to you about, he was doing that for fun. Um, mm. and you know, like he was like, I didn't know what to do, so I decided to do this. And I was like, Oh my god, this is precious. I don't think that uh, if all we need is a connection. And if if you're you know, if your project goes forward, which it would be incredible. It would be life-changing to, you know, to the whole production system. So I'm yeah. very excited. That's such a good idea. And I cannot believe that doesn't exist, you know, like it's such a good idea.
1: Well, there are, there, are, there are places where things like this are starting to be tried out, but they're still very much in the early stage. And I think the fact that we started talking in the beginning about COVID, you know, COVID has changed so many things. Yeah. Um, I think there are, what we've been talking about here basically is uh, really the assets, right? The guy has an asset in his garage or in his facility that he doesn't realize is an asset. He thinks it's just garbage that he doesn't know how to get rid of, but really he has an asset. And this is another way of you know, using language to change the way people think. Um <clears throat> You know how many places can we go and find assets that are hidden? And I think with COVID, so many things are, are changed, different. Some people and more people are working from home. You know, there are a thousand changes that are millions of changes that are happening because of COVID has messed everything up in the old system. And um, I think I think there's going to be a really exciting uh, opportunity to revalue assets that are stranded and just sitting around all over the place that we don't even realize um, actually have intrinsic value. So yeah, I'm looking forward to trying to find a way to, to make these connections. I mean, even even for you, for example, you don't know where the other artisans are in your city. And right? you, you've you had to research and go out and uh, meet people and do quite hard legwork, right, to, to find yeah. people. Um, <clears throat> imagine that that's another asset. Those people are human assets for themselves, right for the, in, in their own right, who have a skill set. Uh, they're artisans. And um, you know that guy didn't realize that something he just did on the side had more value than he realized. Yes. So you know, this idea of revaluing uh, assets that we, we, we've either lost or we've put we don't even know they are assets. I think this is an important one for the future. So you can come back and revisit it. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting with you this morning. And Me too. Um, thank you for not only for your time today, but for everything you do. And um, I, I wish you fantastic success. And um, I can't wait to see you moving into other cities and having 300 artisans next time yeah. we talk.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Let's hope. And count me in for anything that you need. You know, I'm always here. And please keep me posted on your project because I'm very, very excited about it.
1: I will. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Ken.
1: You've been listening to the Circularity Edge podcast Be sure to
0: subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website
1: at www.circularityedge.com.
0: Until next time, bye circular.